0: Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for our February installment of Maurice's monthly podcast. I'm Morgan Harper, VP of Knowledge Management Strategy here at LISC, and Maurice, as always, is joining me.
1: Nice to be with you again.
0: Thanks. And we're very honored to have a special guest with us today, President and CEO of PolicyLink Michael McAfee, also joining us from Oakland. Hi, Michael.
1: Hello.
2: Thank you for having me. Michael, thanks for joining us. My pleasure.
0: So as we've been discussing in these 2019 podcasts, we're turning 40- soon, uh, LISC as an organization. We're inviting leaders like Michael to join us and, and talk through what the future of community development looks like and, and some of the key issues for our industry and Lisk in particular. So, and today we wanted to have Michael as a representative of his organization, PolicyLink, talk to us a bit more with Maurice about racial equity. It's a it's a big topic, um, generally, but then you know, especially in the CDFI community development industry, that hasn't always had as much of a focus on it. So, Michael, I thought we'd start by just you know level setting a bit and hear from you about what do we mean when we say and hear racial equity, and and how do you uh, see it playing out in community and economic development?
2: Sure. Well, thank you all for having me, and um, congratulations on. Coming up to your 40-year mark, when I started my career in Kansas City, LISC was um, being involved with LISC and the work of LISC while I was at the Greater Kansas City Community Foundation. Mm. Is kind of how I cut my teeth and actually oh. learned, um, you know, how do you do really good community building, community development work? So <laughs> I didn't even know that. Years, yeah, very nice. So just wanted to thank you for all your service and leadership in the field.
1: I want to thank you.
2: Um, you know, when we when we talk about racial equity and policy, we talk about it because it's actually the thing that no one talks about, yet it has been a fundamental design of our nation, excluding specifically black folks and indigenous people from opportunity. This nation was designed that way. So when we start talking about opportunity, it's hard to imagine having that with great intentionality if you won't acknowledge the intentionality that went into excluding it. So definitionally we mean just and fair inclusion into a society in which all can participate prosper and reach their full potential and when we talk about racial equity we're not talking about that at the exclusion of other populations what we believe is what we wrote in the in the curb cut effect that came out uh, um, um, several issues ago in the Stanford social innovation review that if we can actually get to the structural design challenges um, that are becoming too toxic for everyone, quite frankly, but that start with our original sin of what we've done to indigenous people and, and black folks, that we can actually benefit to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean when we talk about racial equity. Not that we're trying to catch up to where white people are. Well, we just want to have a just and fair society where those who want to work can work, those who want to have access to opportunity have access to opportunity and can k- take care of their families.
0: Right. And so for practitioners specifically that are in this space and, you know, a lot of the organizations that LISC works with, what do you and, – and this is really for both of you – how do you see this playing out, what it means to embed that principle and that goal uh, into the work?
2: Well, Brother Maurice, I'll let you start and I'll join.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, I think from our standpoint at LISC, it means being purposeful about – Serving folks of color. We're in Black History Month. It means purposeful about serving uh, black folks. Uh, look, for for us, uh, I would echo uh, what Michael just said. What we are trying to do when it comes to our equity lens is to do those things for folks that they need done or done with in order to prosper, Mm -hmm. Uh, which means when we're serving communities of color, uh, we need to be serving communities of color uh, with full knowledge of the context within which communities of color have worked throughout the country. And so there's almost no city in America, for example, that you can go to now where you cannot see how race was a part of how the city was actually designed, right? Mm -hmm. Isolating black folks in parts of the city, uh, highways and railways that are running through uh, black neighborhoods, for example. And so for us in our work, what that means is, look, we want to do a fund for entrepreneurs of color, Mm -hmm. We want to specifically do that kind of work. We want to make sure that we are putting financial opportunity centers and doing other work in communities where black and brown and immigrants are. We want to be purposeful about that. We intend to do those things because that's the way in which we honor the history and that's the way in which we attempt to address issues that were also created through actual design. We You have to be just as purposeful about addressing these issues as the country has been purposeful about creating them. Mm-hmm. That's what it means for our work.
0: Well, and I have a follow up question there, actually. So, with the take an example of a fund, because as we know, LISC and and uh, many of our partners we're we're in the business of moving capital predominantly. And so, do you think it has to be a fund that is designated for a certain set of people? What does it look like to move capital in a way that keeps the racial equity lens front and center?
1: Yeah, Michael, I'll let you step in, and then
2: I'll I'll talk a little bit
1: about our work.
2: So, yes, I think you have to have some specific approaches that are targeted to the people that you're trying to serve. And I don't know why in our nation we act like this is such a new phenomenon. We just saw the largest tax package given to business leaders as a specific group passed, and no one had a problem with us targeting that population. Mm -hmm. We see amazing tax strategy and subsidy going to farmers. And nobody has a problem when we target that population. It is about this anti-blackness in our nation where whenever we talk about helping the most vulnerable, especially black folks, we all of a sudden want to become population neutral. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just ridiculous. And so when we, when we talk about this issue that um, Maurice just described, I gave you an example of how you operationalize it. I often talk about charity versus transformation. If you just want to do some good work and help a few people and let a thousand flowers bloom, you actually don't have to have uh, a focus on racial equity. You know, you can just do what you like. But then you also forfeit the right to stop asking about all this result and data stuff that people keep asking for, because you can't get there without dealing with race specifically. Mm-hmm. So I try to get clear with people, what conversation do you want to have and and what type of impact do you want to have? Because if you want to have charity then great, you'll have one-offs like myself who make it, and my sisters and a host of folks from my neighborhood will not. But it also gets in the way of your work, a a, a practical example. At this time where we're getting more and more people of color to, to get banked, to stop using payday loans, helping to get their credit scores up so they can buy houses, et cetera, and move into the middle class, that's really good foundational charity work, and nothing wrong with it. But in those same communities where where nonprofits are busting their butts and doing that work, if you don't deal with the excessive ways in which municipalities have chose to implement fines and fees, targeted to specific communities, you ultimately end up having a structure that actually strips the very wealth that you're trying to build simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And you saw this in Ferguson where the state actually had to say, you know what, we're going to pass some caps on how much this municipality will try to grow, operational, subsidize itself off of the backs of poor folks. It doesn't do that in rich communities. And now given my socioeconomic status, the Oakland Police Department doesn't over-police in my neighborhood. And I'm sure we speed and do things just as much as everybody else. (laughs) But but that is an example right there. If you're going to do that, then do it everywhere, and let's see how it falls out. But don't pick the places where people are the most vulnerable, and then tell me you want to have this—you want to have a, a, a powerful impact around results and data—and yet you won't look at these structural things that actually undercut our results-based work every day.
0: Right, Maurice? Yeah. Do you agree with this charity versus transformation uh, dichotomy as as Michael described it?
1: Um, I think ch- uh, transformation is always what we should be aspiring to. Let me, let me build on what Michael just said. Um, look, I, and we need to do both, right? Uh, you've mm-hmm. got to make sure that with respect to all of our uh, investments that we are uh, investing in a diverse group, number one.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but number two, you have to also um, make sure that the pipe – so I'll give you uh, an example. I was going to say that the pipeline actually has diversity in it. Right, so I'll give you an example. Look, we want to we work a lot with developers uh, around developing affordable housing, preserving affordable housing, et cetera, and so we provide access to capital to those developers. Well, we want that developer cohort to look like the communities in which they're working now you have to acknowledge that in multiple cities around the country, there are very few people of color, very few African-American developers. So what you have to do in addition to making sure you've got this diverse pipeline, you have to also cultivate a pipeline of developers of color. So for example, we have a program in Milwaukee designed just to do that. We call it our ACA program. And the ACA program is designed to make sure that we are helping to launch more people of color into the development sector. You got to do both or we will never really make significant progress uh, in, this, in this journey that we're trying to make.
0: Michael, transformative or charity?
2: <laughs> so I totally agree with what Maurice just said here. It is it is about us being able to hold the complexity to do both, and we can now. We're sophisticated enough as a sector. We don't have to do um, either or. And what you really heard me describing was not to pit them against each other. It was for me to get clear with folks who sometimes don't want to talk about race
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, to begin to understand the complexity, so that I can have a results-based conversation that says the results then will probably look a little different. Like don't ask me to get people's credit scores up, um, say by 30 or 40 percent in a year, when I, I know that even if I'm able to do that, it won't last because of how the municipality is behaving. You see my point? Right, yeah. I'm able to have a very different um, conversation about the, the journey we want to be on together versus simply trying to get me some grant money. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to hold as I think about how I take up my own leadership, which is not to take the easy way out and because it is hard, but how do I get in a different relationship with investors so that we can be on the same um, on, on, and have the same mental map about what does it take to um, transform this community?
0: It's interesting because both PolicyLink, LISC, working in a lot of different markets around the country, what's your assessment uh, of where – People are at with having that conversation are they are they ready to understand that distinction that you're making and the need for both what 's your what's your sense
1: from my perspective uh, around the country uh, in um, localities and cities uh, and towns around the country, people are actually grappling with this subject actually much better than we're doing it on a national level. Hmm. I think some of the most honest and creative, uh, and forthright and constructive conversations that I've seen on matters relating to race and and where the country is and what the country needs to do now have actually been in the communities where we're working in the cities where where we're working. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, for example, is after years acknowledging <laughs> that part of the reason why they are not as uh as promising as they want to be even though they are one of America's uh shining cities is because they have segregation uh in that town right and you can you know it doesn't take a genius to figure that out you can mm-hmm. just look at the look at the map but they as a as a city the leaders of the public and the private sector are acknowledging that forthright and committing to doing something about it. That's the kind of thing that y- you need in order to make any progress. And then you got to make sure you've got folks at the table who, as I say, represent the the diversity of the community that you're trying to, uh, trying to uh, help move forward. But yeah, I would tell you that in the places where we're working now and the uh, towns and cities, in rural areas as well, these conversations are happening. Now, we got a long way to go, mm-hmm. um, but they're happening. And so I'm encouraged.
0: Michael, from your perspective?
2: Yeah, I am too. You know, whether I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, or Kansas City, Missouri, or or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I see the same thing. To me, this is a testament, I think, to the, the the deep work Lisk has done over the years in places. And in some ways, it's one of the reasons why I can show up and have a, a greater sense of urgency, mm-hmm. and want to push it to accelerate where we're at right now. Because I understand where we've been, I have understand the infrastructure and the readiness that's been established in places because of institutions like List that have been there doing deep work over the years. And what you really hear me doing and saying is, I don't wanna squander that by going back and trying to replay or rehash, even though you gotta stay focused on it every day, what's already been built, the capacity, the readiness, et cetera, by institutions like list that have gotten us to a place right now where the nation can take a big leap forward.
1: Well, and I would just add that, look, PolicyLink has been a leader in this field. So Michael and his team and uh, those who have gone on before him have really been uh, the conscience on this issue and these set of issues around the country for years. So my, my hat's off to you all, Mike.
0: And I guess that that is a uh, segue to a good question, I think, because, you know, LISC obviously can't be everywhere. Uh, also, Who told you that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Maurice would dispute that. But uh, yeah. uh, you heard it here first. Yeah, it's tough to be everywhere. <laughs> but um, for both of you, too. So how do you? You know, I'm in a community where maybe Lisk hasn't, you know, laid that foundation like you're describing, Michael, and you're you're trying to to do that for yourself as a community leader, as an organization, as a municipal government, ideally, you know, even, um, and in that balance of educating folks about the systemic discrimination that has occurred and also laying the foundation for action to start addressing some of the the outcomes from that. Uh, W- any advice or thoughts that you you both might have on on how you approach that as a practitioner,
2: we I'm gonna let you go because I want to learn something. <laughs> something <after that. laughs> um,
1: look, I I don't have any magic answer to this. What what I would tell you is that um, in every town that we're in or that we are visiting or looking uh, at uh, being in there is a conscience in the community that is talking about these subjects. Now, how vocal or how widespread or how much it is in the public arena mm-hmm. uh, is a question to be asked. But when you uh, start going into communities and asking these communities uh, uh, about the things that they want to do and and uh, the history of the communities, this subject always comes up. And mm-hmm. everybody uh, and people are talking about it everywhere. So there's no town where I've been where this isn't something that is uh, on the minds, in the hearts and souls of folks, particularly folks of color, mm-hmm. uh, who can tell you when in 1960 their community was moved because of some, uh, some building or some construction that took place, or who can tell you how their relatives were kept out of certain communities because of restrictive covenants. This stuff is in people's DNA. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, uh, you know, has the community done anything uh, in order to constructively... Use that for the betterment of the community, or whether we can uh, help that, or or both. Uh, but there is no absence of this sentiment, these feelings, the, this history, this experience in any place where where I've been.
2: Even among white leaders, in some
1: even way. among white leaders, mm-hmm. absolutely.
2: Yeah, Maurice said something that really triggered something for me. I mean, you know, I I moved to the neighborhood that I was raised. Um, because of the freeway that was coming through the inner city mm-hmm. when, when I was a baby in Kansas City. And, and that's why we ended up moving to a place that was a little more richer in opportunity. But my life trajectory probably would have been very different if I had lived a couple of blocks over and didn't have to move because the city wanted our house. Um, but having said that, I think, you know, one of the things that um, sticks with me often is – when we go into places, often and like if we share our national equity profile data um, with folks, I'm often surprised by community members who will start crying because they're like, you're validating what I've yep. been trying to say for 20 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that actually hurts my heart because I'm like, wow, why, why should we keep getting paid simply to keep retelling the story that if folks would just listen to that voice, wisdom, and experience of local folks we can move on down the road. Um, And so I really hope that as we think about this work, we can actually listen to that voice. Just like Marie said, folks are telling the stories in their community every day. And that's why it's hard to decide where we often will work because I can tell you, if I go into the right community and you get pulled aside, folks will tell you what's going on. Mm -hmm. absolutely right. You can find a critical mass to begin to do the work. It's a question of who do you choose to listen to? And so our North Star in that regard is that we want to listen to that voice, wisdom, and experience of community folks. That's who we should be listening to and not be just driven solely by where our donors want us to be. And so that is the art that, you know, I'm learning to master better, which is to be able to use the national equity data to be able and, and my ability to listen when I'm in places, to help people even think of new possibilities of where we might show up. Because I know folks are ready to do the work, but they may not have just been able to catalyze it locally. Um, Because sometimes when we go places where there's a lot of stuff going on, you look at it and it's quite surface, but there's great publicity. There's great brand around it.
0: Do you find the donor community is shifting in their understanding of which voices we do need to be listening to? What's your impression there?
2: I do find that. I find that a lot. And I think the more... Of us who can be courageous enough to continue to help folks understand what is needed um I think the better um yeah i would I would
1: second that i I think the donor community um is looking at its work through the lens of equity um in an unprecedented way right now, mm-hmm. and um to Michael's point, I think the question is how we maximize this season. Um I'm one who thinks this season won't last forever. Um, and that, is
0: that a moment of pessimism, <laughs> from no, Maurice no, no, Jones? No,
1: no pessimism Whoa. at all. It's, <laughs> it's just that you know seasons come and go, and your question is how much you do in that season to maximize it, so it's uh, so its legacy can last. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we are in a season where you do have a great deal of goodwill and people desirous of 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 making investments and in doing work that is attempting to effect equity and i think we got to hit the ball out of the park mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's a pretty good note to end on, call to action, hitting the ball of the park. No no small goals from Maurice. Um, well, just to wrap up, and as you referenced, Maurice, uh, we are in Black History Month, and and actually why we wanted to focus on this topic, especially this month, as we you know all know, black people, we have been at the forefront of advocating for racial equity in this country. So um, if I could, Maurice, one of your uh, trailblazers, uh, idols in this area that you admire and inspires you in community and economic development, if you could share with us.
1: In community and economic development? Yes. Um, you Afri- can probably
0: define that. <laughs> <laughs> it's African- not a quiz.
1: African-American? Is that what you look that's, for? That's, black the idea, Mary. <laughs> that's the idea, Maurice. That's the idea. Wow. Um, you know, I, I would have to say, if I'm thinking about uh, African-American uh, community development, man, there are lots of folks... Uh, look, I am um, always um, inspired by the work that I see, for example, Darren Walker doing, mm-hmm. right? And I remember when Darren was at the Abyssinia CDC, and uh, and now he's leading uh, one of the largest foundations uh, in the country. Head of Ford Foundation. Uh, head of Ford. So, you know, uh, he is an inspiring example uh, for me of of a person who started in the community uh, and now has a, a perch that uh, has the uh, opportunity to really, really help us transform communities. And for me, that's, uh, that's inspiring.
0: Great. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your honesty and, and, and thoughts on, on this topic. And uh, we hope we can collaborate together in the future.
1: Yeah, Michael, thanks so much. You're welcome. All the best. Okay, you too. Thank you. Stay well. Bye-bye.